Hello, welcome to the Big Scuba Show. Um, uh, my name is Mallory Haas, and I am the director of the Ships Project, and I'm here with the Big Scuba Podcast, talking about maritime history and cleaning up the uh, marine environment. Today's episode is sponsored by Narked at 90, so let's find out a bit more about them. Narked at 90, their tagline has been beyond technical, which describes them pretty well. John Routley and Brent Hudson launched the company over 20 years ago. They are both technical divers who have logged thousands of mixed gas dives between them over a 30-year period. Using their engineering know-how and diving expertise have developed bespoke personal, commercial and military diving equipment and products of a universally recognised unparalleled calibre. Their ability to be adaptive and versatile with their developments led them to support the NHS during COVID. Using their superior knowledge of breathing and oxygen monitoring systems to help develop emergency ventilators. They also design and supply the sneaky stuff used by defence-based development groups throughout the Western world, although they can't tell us much about that. If you're thinking of moving across to tech diving or completely new to diving, Narked at 90 can advise and guide on the best equipment and setup for your personal or commercial requirements. Narked at 90 have unparalleled experience of shearwater dive computers and are the longest serving and sole and UK European service centre for those. They are happy to offer technical support, servicing, repairs and upgrades to all shearwater computers, past and present. Narked at 90 stock shearwater computers, but are also stockers and technical support centre for many other manufacturers, including Divesoft, JJCCR, Hollis, Revo and Kiss Rebreathers. Based centrally in the UK, Narked at 90 also offer full rebreather head servicing for selected manufacturers. Bespoke cable assemblies. Advice on specific fitting requirements. Suggestions and guidance for home builds. Computer laser cutting and engraving. Pressure testing to simulate 400 metre dives. So, Narked at 90, a reputation built on supporting both manufacturers and divers worldwide. Go to narktat90.com and make sure you are following their social media to keep up to date with their latest news and offers. Narked at 90, large enough to cope, small enough to care. Hello and welcome to the Big Scuba Podcast. My name is Ian, I am your dive master for today. Welcome to episode 160. With me is, as always... Hello, Gemma here. Hope you're all well and thank you for downloading. I was just about to introduce you and you jumped right in. <laughs> well, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, thanks for downloading this episode. And once again, we have a great guest for you coming up. We have the lovely Mallory Hass, who, um, if you don't know her from Ships Project, uh, Archaeology, you might have heard from... Uh, Mallory uh, seen her with Ross Kemp yes, on in, Sky. So she uh, took part in the Shipwreck Hunters series. Yeah, with and uh, but doing digging around in the English Channel looking for uh, shipwrecks and, and treasure. And treasure. Yeah, they did a dive on the actual Mary Rose site, 
with Ross Kemp. So um, that was the first one on episode two uh, on se- second series. Wasn't yeah, it? yeah, yeah. And we obviously have had Ross Kemp on as a previous guest. So if you want to listen to that, head back. Yeah, and I can't remember what which one that was. Actually, that was about ten ten episodes ago. Yeah. Probably it was this it's year. Probably, yeah. It was this year. Yeah, yeah it's quite recent. Just head to the website and search Ross Kemp, and he'll pop up. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's quite interesting. <laughs> we uh, have been diving today, and uh, we've just stopped at our usual watering hole to get a cup of tea um, before uh, we head back. And we're in Thetford, and uh, where we've pulled in, <laughs> we seem to always manage to Some pull adventure. in to where there's a, a car meet going on, and uh, lots of very interesting cars, and lots of loud exhausts, and I don't know how many cars are here now. Well, it's it's getting busier since Certainly we've been here, yeah. and uh, the police are going round. It's all quite interesting. <laughs> So, yeah. so if you hear any pops and bangs it's not Ian it's no. the cars outside no <laughs> that's so rude um, we want to say um, also about what's coming up we uh, obviously we just mentioned being dying we've got a few shout outs as well um, and um, you know the chat that we have with Mallory is, is really quite good yeah very enthusiastic about in fact what, what might, do apologise we did actually go over time on our chat Yes, be prepared. It's quite a lengthy podcast, this one, but it's entertaining. Yeah, absolutely. So so, uh, it's all in there. Um, We had an email, which was really cool. And um, (laughs) and I'll just, I'm not going to read all of it, but um, some of you actually, and I always welcome people, you know, our listeners' feedback. But they listened, didn't they? They do. And and I've made a big mistake. And I'll, I'll put my hands up, you know, I got things wrong. I mentioned um, on last episode that when we was at Lot Long, I saw Scallop, and I just happened to mention about um, how you know didn't about, look very about even... cook yeah. about cooking one, and I got it wrong. <laughs> you meant to actually add butter to it and then fry. Yes, but with one a little of bit the... of garlic and salt, and voila. Yes, delicious. But I one know, of so our listeners took conference about it, didn't they? They did get. Did take a little bit umbrance about it because, you know, not you're not allowed to make a joke these days. No, but you're listening to the wrong podcast if you think you, that you are. So, you know, thanks for you know do listening and and thanks for you know making the effort to write a massive, quite a long email. Um, you know, and it brightened up our day. It did, and the people we shared it to thought that was quite good as well. Um, you know, and uh, yeah, so uh, I hope that apology has kind of covered everything. <laughs> I did get that wrong about you know how we how we approach that. So uh, yeah, um, but if you've got any other ideas on how how you like your scallop, yeah, do let, let us know. know any other recipe suggestions for seafood. That's great. Yeah, that'd be really cool. And if you are going to write us an, uh, uh, some feedback. Please add your name because there's no name, and you know, whoever. Um, they gave us a title, didn't they? CWJZ.QQMYN84 is. Yes. Thank you. Thanks, so, Lisa. Uh, that's, that's really good. That's good to know you're out there. <laughs> Thank you very much. But no, seriously, we do actually. Um, we do actually really love it here, and, and like today, people come up to us and talk and chat. They looked for the flag, and that's they really did. cool. They did, yeah. We so. had some really friendly people come and visit us. We had the flag up. We were in a lovely Ford Ranger with 
buses yeah better over cover it. that so, in a minute yes, yeah yeah so, but yeah, it was lovely to see everyone. Really busy at Stony Cove today. Yeah, Super it was really busy. busy. Yeah. And uh, visibility at Stony was really nice. Um, we were going to do a uh, river clean today. Um, that was what we actually had down for. But the actual visibility... Wouldn't have been um, very good. ...was like, well, totally... Tea? Yeah, like a cup of tea, really. It was yeah. totally... It wouldn't, we wouldn't have been able to see anything or do anything at all today. So uh, we quickly... Um, thankfully, I think we must have had one of the last car park spaces at Stony today. Yeah, definitely. Which was really cool. It worked out really well. Yeah. Um, we um, dived in our full face masks today. Yeah, we did. And saw some perch and a massive pike. Yeah, specimen yeah. perch they got there. Um, and in underneath the, uh, if you know Stony Cove and you know the dive in there, um, underneath the pub um, where you can go in and see Nessie. Absolutely full of little fry at the moment, yeah. little little perch, all in there, thousands of them. It's really lovely to see this time of year at Stony Cove. I remember last year, and it was, and there were fish in the cockpit as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. It's just really like magical. I literally yeah. just dropped down, and I was like, I saw, I saw, saw you, saw, looked round, and there, there's Three a great fish. big pike, <laughs> yeah. a great big pike. Uh, when the pike come up. Yeah, and then we saw really the cool. perch a bit later, didn't we? Yeah, on yeah, the, there's the two big perch were just w- w- wandering around. And yeah. A bit like the police are at the minute, actually, just yeah, wandering in around. in and out of this car park. In and out, looking at the yeah. cars. Yeah, and it was great to see some, yeah, there's plenty of schools uh, with new divers doing their yeah. stuff. Yeah, and, there, was, um, there was a school there from Kent today, wasn't ocean, there? Blue Ocean Diving, so yeah. hello everybody, hope you had a good day. Yeah, big turnout from them, a lot of divers. Yeah, and um, we saw familiar faces, and we saw Bobby Marley, who was, she's a staff instructor. Yeah, she, now Bobby was on our full face course, wasn't she? Yeah, back in February, February at yes. At Gildenberg at three degrees water. Yeah. And we had to take our masks off. And we all enjoyed that. <laughs> we all enjoyed taking our masks off we at Gildy in, in three degrees water. Cheers, John. Thanks <laughs> for that. But yeah, so Bobby was at Stony doing a... I didn't protest at all. No. Yeah. And she was doing an... What was it? IM, of course. Yes. Yeah. No, um, AI. AI. AI, yeah. yeah. With assistant instructor, Yeah, course. she was doing that for a few people and getting people signed off. And uh, it's quite interesting some of the things that she was saying about the, the switchover between um, everything being online to something still being on paper, having to use mm. paper, and the two don't always marry up. And we, and we find that in, in everyday life, don't you? Yeah. You know where things are in paper and you're slowly moving over yeah, into so the computer were, world. Had their heads very much into some paperwork when we saw them at the the pub. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. Um, you see, have you, have you started using the app, the Paddy app yet? I've got it downloaded, you... but not for my logbook. No, so I no. quite like having that paper logbook. Yeah, I might put it on there, but no, I like the paper one as well. Honey's using the app. Um, and it, I, I get it, you know, I think it's like the new way. And it's, uh, to me, there's always something nice about having that paper. Yeah. That, you know, that paper thing. Yeah. Old school, I guess. So, oh, and then... At Stony, we also obviously had the flag up, but we also had some narked at 90 slap straps. Yes. Yeah, yeah, um, and yeah, people. About 18 or 19, I think, yeah, uh, went. Yeah, and uh, if anybody is at Stony next weekend, so that will be the 30th, 30th of September, yeah. 
um, we'll be there again and yeah if you'd like a knocked at 90 slap strap and we will have some discount codes yes as well. give away 10% so you need to come and see us though so to get those yeah um, yeah and there'll probably be a little suggestion box as well yeah I think that would be really good um, you know if you can uh, leave us your suggestions and uh, if you want us to give you a shout out on the next episode then uh, uh, you know do that leave your name and we'll we'll do that or if you've got any recipe ideas for <laughs> for fish and sh- self <laughs> shell <laughs> shellfish <laughs> then yeah. Uh, yeah let's have them too yeah yeah so, so yeah, so it's a very good day. And also, our full face masks, we're officially on the Ocean Reef yes. website now as yeah, UK thank you very much. ambassadors. Yeah, which is really cool. Well done. Yeah, thank you very much. Yes. Uh, I want to say thanks to Luca and his team and uh, the Ocean Reef family for inviting us to join in. Yeah, yeah. No, we're really proud to be part of it. And, yeah. Uh, look forward to our full face mask journey yeah so that'd be really good uh next so next saturday i'm on dm duty for crystal sea scuba um but you and honey by sound of it are going to be shore doing shore cover which yes, will be really which good never done before so will be interesting that's quite an interesting experience <laughs> yeah it is um do you want experience so we uh today are in this beautiful white uh, f- brand new Ford Ranger Wild Track, and um, it's been given to me for the last couple of days as a, a test, as because I'm looking to swap vehicles about the minute, and uh, one of the things I'm looking at is potentially a Ford Ranger. Yeah. And uh, buses of Norwich. Um, you might have seen a post. You know, we had a disagreement about my experience with them last week but i have to say with buses they've pulled out all the stops they've done a good we've come you know and um you know i've fed back my experience which it wasn't wasn't a good experience it wasn't the best of experience no but fed it back and they've acted and sorted it out and we've talked and they said well if you're looking for a truck try one try the new ones yeah and which this is, has been fantastic isn't it? yeah great customer service and uh yeah it's great that we've been able to test drive this vehicle and use it as a dive vehicle yeah and it's i'm going to be updating my post that i did yeah. and because uh, it's only right yes you yeah. know if you my my belief is is if you make a complaint or you raise a concern then you should also reward by giving good feedback if it's dealt with when it's dealt with mm. it, and they have yeah. So to be fair to them, in Great. all honesty, good communication, which is important these so days. So I've got to say, to Sam, thank you very much for um, lending us this truck. And we took, we thought, well, we can't do the river clean. That's out. We'll see if we can get to Stony, and we did. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, this is doing about, I think last time I looked, it was about thirty-six to the gallon. Yeah, it's it's really uh, it's for a truck. <laughs> it's performed yeah. amazingly. Ford Ranger truck. It's a brand new, it's the new shape. Uh, really nice place to sit nice interior um, and the yeah. buck on the back we've got all our dive oh, gear and the buck on the back what you said <laughs> so, language please <laughs> my mum might be listening so it's uh, performed very well as a dive vehicle that has yeah lots of room and um going to be picking the squids up in the morning and uh then what we're going to do tomorrow so we'll see we can't, most of can't go paddleboard in that um our usual spot because the, the scouts, scouts are taken over they're not your scouts Anyway, so um, big thumbs up to the brand new Ford Ranger, I have to say. Yeah, definitely. Very nice. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, 
we'll be putting a post together about that to kind of wrap wrap that up and uh, see how the next few weeks develop because a lot of these manufacturers got quite a wait. Mm. So, well, but, you've been told. So I'm, in, I'm in an old banger at the minute. <laughs> which I, you know, don't, don't knock it. No, no, it's doing well. Touch wood. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> let's also we need to give big great a big great well done to and a shout out to somebody who we first one of our very first guests yes very um, first i think you know, coming up for nearly four years ago yeah and um we've watched from afar we've had her on and her dad very early in 2020 yeah as she appeared yeah. and um you know done is doing loads of stuff always i don't know jumping out of a plane like you have and <laughs> all sorts of things always busy always active and always got a smile on her face yeah and she's so well supported by her parents and her dad and yeah. we've met them several times face to face haven't we at the shows yeah. and yeah. at NDAC and yeah she's just full of positiveness who are we talking about? Grace Westcar. there we go yeah so well done Grace for doing your DMs round of applause <laughs> we've got to say well yeah done. definitely an inspiration for anybody out there to show how far you've come yeah. Over the last well three four years, yeah, isn't it? yeah. Uh, absolutely. Through you know, COVID. if you're thinking about doing, mm. you know, the dive master role, sometimes a, an overlooked role. I think sometimes where, you know, you know people look at going on to be the instruct either an assistant instructor mm. or instructor, yeah. miss it out. Maybe it will go through it too quick and go to yeah, go through it too quick, and one, uh, it's a role to enjoy get your teeth in that first professional level of diving you know well look at how much you enjoyed it I, I love it I think it's really good you know I've been a DM for a few years now and um, you know I've never ruled out going for to be a, become an instructor but I enjoy being a DM I, I, well it's all about it timing as well and what's happening in life yeah exactly exactly that and um, you, you need to be ded- give dedicated time to go through an instructor's course yeah, you yeah. know, and if you can't do that, then that's probably not the right time for mm. you. Yeah, but we'll watch Grace's, you know, continued adventures. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we'll make yeah. a great instructor in time, um, and we'll make a great dive master too. Yes, you know. Yeah, yeah. So it's been yeah. If you haven't heard of Grace, look her up. She's got she's on Instagram. Um, she, you know, she's been on various. Uh, she's been on scuba the scuba, scuba diving magazine or scuba go diving show. She's yeah, been on. Yeah. So, but yeah, definitely a great girl to follow. Yeah, and we should mention actually uh, the go diving show. I don't know if you send the email, come round. Yeah, that's being talked about now. Yeah, it's going to be bigger and better than last year, which 10, is really good. Ten thousand square meters. Yeah, bigger. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, yeah, watch this space. That'd be uh, be good to get there next year. Look forward to that. Um, I think we're gonna have, we're gonna be drowned out by loud exhaust. They're kind of running out of room. This huge car them. park in Thetford. We're being surrounded by hot hatches and all sorts. And uh, what else have we got to say? We've got uh, quite a lot lined up with um, recordings. Yes. Yeah, so we've got busy few we've months coming got again. Ben and Sam coming back Yay. on from Lindy Diving, yeah. so we'll be talking to them this coming week. Hey, what um, the Welks have been up to. Yeah, the yeah. Welks and the Divers. And the Divers. <laughs> I wonder yeah. who's more trouble, the Welks or the Divers? 
think I know the answer to that one. <laughs> and then we've got Abby Barnes coming on. Yeah. Chris Lemons. Yeah. Last Breath. Last Breath. Uh, Bobby Sholly, another Women Divers Hall of Fame lady. Yeah. Uh, US Navy yeah. captain, I believe. Yeah. Been involved with uh, submersibles, knows lots about you know, the Ocean Gate um, tragedy. Um, she's been involved with NASA, from what I understand. Yeah. Um, very, um, yeah, done loads of stuff. In, yeah, that should be a good career. one. And then we've got one mm, of our. What? They're all good. They're all good. I know. <laughs> but I know what you mean. <laughs> Lots of, you know, experience. Yeah. Um, and then we've got Chris Taylor, who's local to us from Norfolk. Yeah. Um, but he's recently been on Channel 5 on the programme Norfolk and Suffolk, talking about snorkelling. Does some awesome drone stuff as yeah, well. Yeah, Sheringham Snorkel Trail. He's a he's a big advocate of. Um, so if you look that up, Nor- Norfolk and Suffolk on Channel 5. But Chris will be talking to us in early November. Yeah. So we've got quite a busy... We have, yeah, got a busy time. Yeah, we um, thought it was going to get quiet. <laughs> well, no, no. And then we we're off on a couple of adventures in the coming months, aren't we? October, we've got an exhibition to go to. Yes. Um, and probably a few more people to chat to. Yeah, we've been asked to uh, give a talk as well. We have, we? yes. So yeah. uh, we so. need to do that as well. We shall. Yep. That's going to be fun. Looking forward to that. Yeah, we're always happy to put ourselves out there. So. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, all part of it. So come say hello to us if you see us wandering around Stony. Um, you know, we, we always love hearing from you. And uh, if there's any particular episodes that really stand out to you, and uh, let us know why and which one, that'd be really cool. Yeah. So I think we better get Mallory Hassan. I do. I think so too. Before we even get um, drowned out by someone <laughs> stereo who's now backing in. So uh, anyway, thank you very much and uh, enjoy this episode. Yep. So this is episode 160, and it's Mallory Hass. Okay, so Mallory, welcome to the Big Scuba Podcast. It's really lovely to have you and uh, hopefully you'll be familiar to some of our listeners. Um, They've seen you on TV as well and people from the diving world. (laughs) So first of all, how did you get into scuba diving? What got you started? Uh, so you can probably tell by my accent, I'm not from around here. The, the Devonians like to tell me all the time, um, <laughs> cause, cause I'm, I'm in Plymouth, um, is that I started off in the Great Lakes. I'm a terrestrial archeologist by trade. And when I was working there, I was doing some, um, larger conferences and I went to, um, a big conference on, uh, historical archeology. span And I realized like the, the area that I was working in, like the time period was also covered under, um, shipwrecks. So underwater stuff. So like contact period, you know, post medieval stuff. And I was at the conference and I was stepped into a underwater session and I was just kind of hooked. So mm-hmm. I went back home, got my scuba certification and started working the great lakes on shipwrecks. Wow. wow. So went into like doing we a lot of times in the, in the the Great Lakes we do sanctuaries we do kind of um, moorings we put down moorings so you're not anchoring to the wrecks uh, so they're they're better um, better visitation so I started working with uh, areas like the uh, um, and different superior and especially in Michigan I did a lot of my training and I work with a, a nonprofit called MAST in Lake Erie and did a lot of stuff there and went on the board and then got 
completely engulfed in shipwrecks. And then I wasn't interested in terrestrial anymore. And then I started working with Primari, which the the ship's project. Uh, Primari had funded the ship's project for six years. It's a U.S. research foundation. And I ended up in Plymouth and met my husband and kind of here I am. (laughs) (laughs) And he's, yes, based in the UK now then. It's pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, this was a much nicer place than Cleveland. You've got palm trees down here, you know, about, you know, a five-minute walk to the sea. So this was much nicer. Yeah. And the water's often uh, warmer down there as well, isn't it? It's warmer than it is up here anyway. Yes, yeah, I know. And it's extremely warm this year. It's like, it's it's like concerningly warm. I was in the channel. Um, We were doing a 30-meter dive. And I, I usually wear a wetsuit. Just because even even in May, I just wear a wetsuit. I just like it a bit better. Um, I started off in the wetsuit in the Great Lakes doing ice diving, so it's not. Right. I'm wow. actually. <laughs> That's key. I, I just once I get to like a certain temperature, it doesn't really bother me that much. So a semi dry is fine. But I was um, going back to being here. We were we we're looking at this plane engine uh, that we've been surveying, and I was I was sitting there and I was like. I go, I'm not chilly. And I looked at my compass or I looked at my computer and it was 16 degrees at 30 meters. And I thought, oh, that's a big Yeah. Oh. 16. Yeah. Yeah, that's doable. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's like, at, oh. At 30 meters, that doesn't sound right, does it? No, it's not. And it's, you know, it's that whole thing that we've kind of been talking about with like the climate change and we're seeing our waters getting warmer and, the, you know, the streams are changing. Mm-hmm. And that's very concerning for a lot of the biology that lives in like the the nesting areas of like, you know, the river valleys, because that's where all the baby fish go to become bigger fish. And that's where all of the magical stuff happens. And if those rivers warm up too quickly or even, you know, over 19 degrees mm-hmm. like the Tamar here in Plymouth, it can be disastrous for the outcomes of those really important species. So. You know, 16 degrees at 30 meters doesn't take a lot to heat up all around the edges to 19. So, mm. yes. yeah. Well, I think I saw, because I live on the coast here, east coast, and the sea temperature today with the people that swim is 19 and a half. Yeah. yeah. That's obviously surface, but yeah. it still sounds warm. <laughs> it's just... it, it, yeah, no, it is. It's very warm. It's just, you know, I, you know, when I started diving in the UK about 10 years ago, I always dived in a dry suit. It's only in recent years that I've kind of picked up diving in a wetsuit more often. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it just shows, yeah, people can transition from a dry suit into semi-dries and wetsuits, and it's not that bad. <laughs> no, no, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've just been up to the Far Islands diving in oh. semi-dries. Yeah, yeah, and it was didn't feel cold once, did we? No, no. I I, I prefer it in, uh, um, mm. you know, up down to probably about ten degrees. Yeah, and, um, that's kind of doable, I think. Yeah, yeah. Starting off with like, I don't usually if it's before May, I'll be in a dry suit, and then around May, like ten, eleven degrees down here, and then that's absolutely fine. You yeah, know, for like you know, fifteen minute dive, that's all right. Yeah. yeah, I prefer the flexibility. You know, I think that's so much nicer. Mm. Yeah, well, there's also the thing about being able to pee anytime you want, which is just <laughs> yeah. so, That's the bonus. It is it's so nice. <laughs> With not all this clobber on. <laughs> no, you're like, oh, do I have that on right? Do I have to do this? Did I connect that right? Is the zip on? Is the tape working? All of those kinds of things. Yeah. So no, it's just like 
I and you can just drink as much as you want. The other thing, like you don't have to think about it. You just can just like you know drink everything that you see <laughs> and not have to worry about. It. Yeah. So, what level of diving have you done? Um, rebreather? Have you gone through the sort of tech levels? Um, I've got my sixty meter trimix ticket. Wow. And then I've I'm in the middle of doing my dive leader with BSAC, and then I have my HSE Part Four. Yeah. Um. And then I was um I was considering doing rebreather, um, but a lot of this stuff, I think I, I might have done it a few years ago, depending on the projects that we were on. It's kind of all dependent on the things yeah. that we we end up you know researching, or we want to do. Um, but I'm still kind of ambivalent if I should do my surface supply or my rebreather because it depends on what, where we're going with this. And I think more so because of the Thousand Tires project that the um, surface supply is probably a bit, it's a bit more important to do because that means we can do commercial cleanups. Yeah. Because we've got three or four commercial dive companies down here in the Southwest um, who have, you know, um, given uh um, some of their time to doing some, there's certain areas that we need to clean up and you can only use commercial divers. And I think that might be the better thing because I've done commercial um, scuba for many years, probably the past eight, nine years now. Yeah. And I've worked on commercial boats, even offshore. So it's um, it's not it's not un unknown to me. So I think so that's- You've worked in some tough too. conditions then. Yeah, yeah, I got got stuck on a couple of boats offshore for you know a few weeks. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't wasn't the intention, and you know, lack of clothes. <laughs> uh, so you mentioned the thousand tire project. So how's that come about? So, um, so I work for the ships project, and I turned the ships project into a CIC. So before that, it was just a community project. And um, while we were looking for shipwrecks in Plymouth Sound, we started to find all this ru rubbish looking looking for it. We're using sonar, geophysics, magnetometry, side scan sonar, all of the really nice, lovely kit that not everyone gets to play with. But because Plymouth is the home of marine autonomy and also a lot of the offshore um, companies have bases here, we have uh, we get to get our hands on some really expensive rare kit. So um, about nine years ago, Sonodyne had offered to do some um, testing with a, a sonar called a, a Wavefront uh, sonar system. And from that, we got really detailed sonar images of about 20% of Plymouth Sound. And you can see all the way down to almost the tire tread on a tire. Wow. It's that It's that good down to 30 meters. And we started to notice all of these tires and this is in kind of the main areas where we would be diving at or we would be looking at not like the off skirts about like up the river by you know where the navies at where devonport's at and there were well over a thousand tires and also we could see some of the rubbish so a lot of the dumping that had been historic and about you know we saw it about 10 nine years ago microplastics really weren't a topic the way that they are today Mm. Um, because we know the tires on the road produce microplastics and well, pretty much everything produces microplastics. Um, but we also didn't realize is that the tires that are on the foreshore and the ones underwater are releasing other really nasty chemicals like mercury, lead, the um, a specific type of chemical that's used on tires to help them not break down under sun conditions, so UV conditions, which really affect salmon. Wow. 
Um, so we about, was it 2020, I put in a idea to do a crowdfunder with Plymouth City Council. And I thought, well, it might work. I don't know. I didn't even know if it was a good idea, really. It was just mm. kind of, you know, doing like a test bed. And they're like, oh, no, it's a great idea. I'm like, oh, all right. <laughs> now, now I'm going to have to do something. <laughs> <laughs> so we did this crowdfunder and then we won and I was like now I'm really gonna have to do something because you never really know so we did um did the crowdfunder came out of it and we were in the middle of COVID so we started doing tire collections like kind of on our own but we had we had we had the idea that possibly the tires could go into kilns to be used for um creating cement Oh, okay. It'd be yeah. the fuel. It would be a fuel source, like a, a carbon black source, low um, O2 in the kiln, meaning there wouldn't be much byproduct then after they would be burnt, and then the metals could then be um, taken outside and then scrapped because there's like wire infrastructure inside yeah. of tires, yeah. especially like the newer ones that we see. Though most of the times the ones that we're seeing on the seat better, a bit older. I even found a tire from the 1920s. Right. So, yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's a long time. Uh, were these tires, were they, you know, um, signed off to be dumped there, you know, s several years ago and they've kind of been forgotten about? What's, what's the history of how they actually got there? Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. It just seems like, why are they there? Yeah, and I think, I think that's one of the questions for, you know, a lot of people is like, how did all of this stuff get there? And we know that, you know, you lose pots and you lose this and there. And there's a couple of reasons. I mean, most of the time, the the larger tires, the tires that we see have, have holes in them. They've been used as fenders. They're in their second uh -huh. life on the, uh -huh. on the side of the fence, especially in the, you know, the fishing boats, the tugs yeah. on your industrial line of shipping. So that's one reason that you'll find it like isolated tires, yeah. but quite a few. So they're not like piled on top of each other. They just come off when you just get another one because they're very cheap. And they're you always find, tire. you know, when we've done river cleans, you always find a t car tire and things like that. But a thousand, that's like commercial dumping, isn't it? That's somebody signing off on that. Yes. And that's part of the thing that, you know, we don't, we want to be careful about not to like point fingers, but when you see a pile of tires mm. that are on top of each other, that's not the random loss of an item. That's no. that's strategic dumping. And yeah. that's one of the things that has happened in Plymouth. And it, if it, you know, it happens here, it's happened in all of the major fishing ports. So we have big piles of dumped rubbish. And one of the things that we do see is the tires were used sometimes to like weigh down warps, like trawl warps, and then to get rid of them so you don't mm. have to deal with them. Yeah. Um, mm. And as soon as they sink to the seabed, then they start getting filled up with sediment because we've, you know, like any any port, you'll have a sediment issue and, you know, changing of that. And then just become a little bit more part of the seabed. And it's really hard to get rid of them after that. So we know well over a thousand tires from the sonar that we have, and that's not including any of the foreshore stuff. So, because the one, the tires are on the foreshore are actually the, the, the worst polluters when it comes to microplastics and the chemicals breaking down because they go through like tidal changes, mm -hmm. UV issues, all of that stuff. So you can see the entire seabed is then covered in microplastics. Yeah. Which is just, That's you know, it's, really it's, it's, really yeah, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking because you can see places that are, you know, I, you know, very idealistic when you have like yachts and you have moorings and mm. people, 
you know, like, you know, some of the, you know, even not just outside of Wembury. And then there's just tires everywhere. And unless you get really close on, on the, the muddy foreshore, you don't realize how they're actually affecting the rest of like, you know, the invertebrates or the mollusks that are there. Because the mollusks are picking up the oysters. That's, you know, part of the thing. Like we've, uh, we produced a white paper earlier in the year that talks about the historic pollution in, in Plymouth Sound. And there's a correlation between historic pollution um, and the and the 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 issue of seagrass dying off on a like a, a global scale, yeah. and the advent of the vehicle, the car, so somewhere between like post nineteen twenty, and up all around to like nineteen thirty three, just before the seagrass dies off. So there's something that we produced in a chemical that has drastically affected seagrass because even with all of like the the garbage and the waste and the stuff that we were putting into our ports for like the past 500 years before that because the sea was the biggest place to put all of your garbage and all your poo and all your dead animals and all your cats and all everything else none of it had a problem with that but something mm -hmm. we produced in that you know the industrial yeah. revolution the post-industrial revolution like from the, the the 1900s onwards really affected what we did with the sea Mm. yeah it's frightening isn't it and then we're taking fish and mussels and oysters from that sea and they're filtering all this which are basically eating all that yeah yes yeah and that and that's the thing that we like um i think i, I really want to get across with the whole tires thing is sometimes if you are diving you will see a lobster or a crab in a tire and it that's all you know we understand that and they're using it as a habitat but one of the, the things that i say is is that even though a mouse is living in a tin can it's not its home right. so we have to give them we have to give them a better home we have to clean it up when we need to put something back so if we pick up you know 50 tires we need to put down like you know a reef queue we need to provide a better you know stabilization for you know homes for those guys yeah so it's not about you know completely tearing up the seabed and not having it there so the divers can see it it's just about that the other thing is is that if what the the crabs and the lobsters and the small invertebrates are eating off of the tires is now into our food chain so that so there's only certain things that will grow on tires and they will only grow for a certain amount of time because once it gets up to a certain level, like with the mercury or the lead, it will die back. And then we're eating that. And then the next phase and the next animal up is eating that. So we just need to get it out of the chain. Wow. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Not good, is it? No. <laughs> and then that's the food side. And then it's, you know, can disrupt commercial movement of ships and yeah, there's, just affects everybody yeah i mean one of the things that we you know we talk about because we work very uh very well with our stakeholders here in plymouth is that when the cruise liners come in because we're like trying to develop a whole idea of more cruise cruises coming into plymouth because we you know we want we want to invite people and especially the americans americans love it here as you can see because i stay um <laughs> Is that if the um, if one of the anchors from the cruise vessels or from one of the tankers that's waiting to come in to um, the cat water gets fouled in any of the really nat there's tons of cables out there the tires are holding down trawl warps a pilot boat has to come out and desnag the main anchor for any of these vessels if they miss the tide then they can't come in. Mm -hmm. All right. And that means completely missing that in-port, off-port. And they may only be in port for 24 hours. So they're just coming in to offload something, you know, might be feed, sand, anything like that. 
and because there's only a couple meters clearance in some of the areas of you know our river because it's only a 30 meter uh, it's only 30 meters deep at most really and the same thing for the tourists can you imagine if a tourist vessel is only doing like they're only here usually for 24 hours yeah. you look at 12, yeah. 12 hours on shore if you miss the tide well that's it you're not you're not going to do <laughs> okay. that yeah, yeah, no. But they're getting caught up in some of these tires and that. Yeah, so the tires, so there's like, there's tires and there's warps and then there's tons and tons of cables. So one of the, the other things that's over across Plymouth Sound and it would be like um, that you'd see too many of the areas that have kind of offshore that you need to um, put to the breakwater. Yeah. So there's a lot of cables run out to the breakwater for power. Mm. And one, once the cable would fail, and so they wouldn't go and pick it up; they'd just run another one. That mm. so we've been we've been duped by these cables before because we were very very certain that what we found was a cannon, like a like the cannons, like how cannons look on like a, a mag a magnetometry survey. They kind of glow the right way, and we were absolutely convinced when we were going down to do some target diving for the ship's project that we were going to find a cannon site and all it was was just cables on top of cables on top of cables all right so they can they can show up very differently on like some of the geophysical surveys and then on top of that the cables can then snag other things mm. the tires can then snag other things and then the trawl works then snag other things because we were i was looking at we were looking for uh, we've been investigating this uh, potential slave wreck site in front of Drake's Island, so from right. the 1600s, and then bumped into a very early um, aircraft engine. So um, 1913, 1910. Oh, wow. So it's like it's a 10 cylinder engine. They're extremely rare. They're the only ones that I know of that were made were called Anzani engines. So we're talking like 1911, 1913. Gosh. And then, and then a few of them were put on like um, what they call water boats at the time, or like you know what, what would have been like a, a flying boat. So we were investigating that. My dive light failed me, and then my backup dive light didn't work. So, anyways, I was I was like next to the engine. I needed to get all of these like measurements down. Anyways, I kind of put my line down because I knew where I was at. Went out to it or where I thought was at. And I was like, oh, this, this isn't it. Anyways, I felt it and I knew it was a big trawl warp. It was a massive trawl warp. And I like kind of fell off and like, this is not what I need to be doing at like 30 meters. No. What <laughs> <No. laughs> <laughs> went back to the shot line, um, found the rest of the divers. It was all, it just was, it was terrible this that day for whatever reason. And then we all went over with the working lights to finish out the survey on this, on this wreck. But you just never know where the stuff is going to show up. Mm -hmm. and historic you know dumping like that is just everywhere i mean and plymouth isn't anywhere near as busy as somewhere like the thames you know mm -hmm. somewhere yeah. you know the essex coast and that kent anywhere like that so what we see in plymouth is probably like a small portion of what any of those ports would look like and it you know plymouth has dived quite a bit where like new lynn and Falmouth isn't dived anywhere near the same way like the sound is so we only get divers you know um like what they're telling us and also because we have the survey data so if we went out and did a you know a big geophysical survey off newland it would be exactly the same yeah which is extremely yeah. disturbing because if you think about what's being landed in newland especially for like the whole of the uk or export imports when it comes to fishing yeah you know 
I don't want to eat that. <laughs> no, no, but she right off fish. Yeah. 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 No, so, oh, well, well, that's so that's just going to prog- progress and build as yeah. long as you've got kind of funding coming in. Yeah. So that so that's our that's our plan. So the the really big news is, is that we haven't done the press release yet, but um, we've been working with a company called Green Energy Limited. So Green Energy is one of the biggest fuel um, producers and importers in the UK, and they were the first ones in the UK to produce uh, fuel from um, cooking oil. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they're taking all of our tires. They've got a depot here in Plymouth to make into a biofuel that's actually marine-grade biofuel. Wow, um, that's really that's good. good. Yeah, so this means that we don't, you know, the whole, we were we were kind of test betting for like, you know, a year and a half. What do we do with the tires? It's all very, we want to get the tires up. What do we do? And Green Energy um, has really solved that problem. And that's... we're, yeah, and we're working with, um, there's like a partnership. We've got an MOU and there's a recycling company called Triple SI. And they're actually recycling the tires for Green Energy. Yeah. Um, so it's just, it's this fabulous thing. And then wherever Green Energy has a port, because we're kind of prototyping this whole thousand tires cleanup thing in Plymouth, you can do at any port where Green Energy is at. So then we're not spending time moving the waste anywhere. It just all yeah. goes to one place. Yeah, well, that's good, isn't it? I think that's always the problem with um, when you do this sort of stuff is that then the next problem is then what do you do with it once you've recovered it and pulled it up from the sea? Yeah. That's good that you've then found that next thing for it. Yes. Yeah. So that was, that was always the, that was the thing that was always troubling me because I, it's the best solution was using it for, um, in the kilns um, for making cement, but we had to, there was only a couple Northern facilities doing that. So it would Mm. be, it'd be hauled all the way up to Manchester and it was, it always felt a bit silly having to move all of that waste and using the carbon to do it because we, you know, it took yeah. quite a while to fill up a container's worth um, to, you know, put on the back of a ship to go up to Manchester. But this solved all of the problems. And yeah. not only that, if it if it works here, it will work in other places. And if yeah. we kind of develop this whole idea of recycling with a profit, uh that it's worthwhile it, you know we can kind of host the whole southwest initiative of dealing with you know with the waste yeah which also includes all of the abandoned grp boats because we we see abandoned grp boats everywhere but we need to kind of that infrastructure to deal with grp has to kind of be created in this country so it's what? something else that we're kind of pushing what's okay. grp so you know all the plastic boats that we see, like you know, if they're not wooden, they're glass like, reinforced you know. plastic, and yeah. But the problem is, is that if we want to get rid of a boat, like you decide you're done with it, or it just gets cut up and put into landfill, and, and that that the the GRP is this almost like it looks like glass, and it there mm. it's glued together, and then it kind of like it removes itself like in layers if it starts to degrade, especially on the foreshore. Um, and it's really, really nasty stuff. You know, it's like yeah. the, it gives you um, uh, anything that gets in contact with it when it's at that kind of level de- develops major cancer yeah. and, all, and all sorts of stuff. So you really want to if they if, if the boat's degrading, you want to get off the foreshore. And you can even see I've seen it on, on in the Tamar. If a GRP boat starts to delaminate, the whole surface of the foreshore will glisten like like glitter. Yeah. And it's because that glass is now covering 
a whole surface and it also creates like a almost like an oil slick so the things underneath can't breathe well you've got acetone in there as well That's Especially, in, in that yep yeah and the, and there's really nasty chemicals from the early grps as well so yeah, even yeah. though they're they're better made obviously the chemicals weren't checked the way that you know they are now and what can be used and it's extremely harmful. You can't really get it out of the sediments unless you do a massive type of cleanup. So before these really start breaking down, it's something that I think we all need to think about. What do we do with this and how do we deal with it? Like at a national level. Yeah. Because I think it was, I think it was a couple of years ago, um, DEFRA, which is like the department for kind of dealing with um, agriculture and cleanups and things like that, wanted to do a big cleanup in the Thames on abandoned boats. And they had identified a thousand boats they wanted to be picked up that were just, they've been left. They put a notice on them. If they're abandoned more than seven years, they're properly abandoned. Yeah. So, so they tried to pick up, I think, 700 of these boats. I don't know how many they ended up getting um in 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 the end but they had to be sent straight to landfill because we just don't have anywhere in the uk to deal with them and if that when you cut up um grp you do the exact same thing if it's going to landfill or if it's on the foreshore Mm. unless it's encapsulated yeah so you know it's about kind of thinking how we use and what we do from now on which i think is part of the you know talking about this stuff because nobody knows that you know that we've got all this like weird pollution everywhere you know no. you, know, you, know, you just did, you have no idea like we were we were talking about recently and like we, we produced this white paper um on historic pollution it's not just historic pollution it's just like how things have changed so in the 1800s like early 1800s the oyster beds here in Plymouth were like some of the best oyster beds that you could have like there were licenses for fishing it's extremely profitable for the fishermen and then the tamar started filling up with the clay works that were up on dartmoor and all of that tin washing and the clay washing started filling in the the river and it suffocated the oyster beds and that's only within like the last 150 years that it's changed dramatically so oysters like a hard surface, like to attach themselves to things. You know, we still have oysters, but nowhere near as plentiful as they did. And considering how oysters are like the major, you know, thing, uh, the major, um, they're the superpower for filtering water. We don't have those filters anymore. And that also means that if we have less clear water, the seagrass can't grow in a deeper depth. So now we only have seagrass here that may be around like five meters, sometimes in seven, that will grow. But the Mm -hmm. seagrass was in deeper water up till that point because we had better clarity in our water. So then it means less seagrass, less biodiversity, and it's it's really, it's all connected. But it's about looking at it. It's a chain reaction, isn't it? Yeah, and it's such a short, you know, 100 years is nothing, is it? It's absolutely nothing, yeah. No. So, you know, I, I know that the things that we're doing now, we're not really going to see an effect over for about 20 years, other mm-hmm. than getting those like the big microplastics off off the foreshore. The other stuff, it will it will come in time, but there's it, it's only a good reason to get out plastics. <laughs> yeah, no, that's really good. And such a 
different subject to kind of shipwrecks, but it's all kind of linked, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, it is. I, I never really noticed it until I noticed it because I was always looking mm. for heritage underwater. I always had like my eye honed in like pottery and, you know, you're, you're looking specifically for like man-made objects. And then when I started to see the tires, I could not see the tires. No. Like they were just everywhere. I just kind of been blinded to it because. So it what's was... underneath the tires? So when you take the tires away, do you know what's underneath? Well, <laughs> this is one of the things that I'd really like to do. So around Drake's Island in Plymouth, there's all these cables and there's tires. and But in that area is also one of the earliest submarines called the Maria. So it's one of the things I'd like to go and find if we could clean up all of this well, Underneath stuff. his tires? Yeah. So early 1700s wooden... Um, uh, a submarine? Yeah. Wow. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then there's a book on her called The Red Marie, and it's about this um, Days Marie. It's about this whole thing where the um, they lost it because it was a bet on it was a bet through two gentlemen of um, very interesting backgrounds. One's a drunkard, and one's just a you know a bit of a fop. And they say that he can create this submarine. He'll go down and then come back up. What they what he doesn't realize he went down, is, all right? Oh yeah, no, he went down. He just didn't come back up. Funny that. <laughs> Who who would have known going for a swim? I forgot in the... to put the plug in. That's what it was. <laughs> well, the the thing was, so he had to, he had to have uh, buoyancy. They so they put uh, wood around the outside of this uh, of this what was it the the hull of a boat to kind of give it some buoyancy, and then he had ballast as well that was underneath, like hanging ballast stones. And when they went to go try it, he couldn't sink, so they started chucking more rocks on top, right. didn't they? <laughs> And then he went down in a bit of a bit of a rush, uh, and and there was he was supposed to send up in his like little area because he had his whole his whole mapped out like in his you know what the submarine was inside. And he had his little candle and he has a little block of cheese and he was going to sit there and he was going to be down there for a while and he was going to come back up and it was all going to be fine. And he's going to send up little pennants like you know red one I'm okay black you know please come get me I need assistance blah blah blah. So it was it was thought out. It just wasn't thought out in the way that like I was going to die instantly because it imploded because I went down in such a rush. And now that's the way it is. So throw more stones on it. Submarine goes down. And then all of a sudden there's this big uprush of bubbles. So and he's not coming back. So the air (laughs) has all come out. The air has all come out. So then there's this initiative because there's a whole bunch of people in Plymouth that went out to like, you know, with their their parasols. And it was, you know, a nice afternoon out to go see the submarine. Um, So everyone gets a bit bored and then goes home. So they want to do a salvage operation. Also, it's a a naval port, Um, but they don't exactly where it's at. So they they end up finding it. And um, so hold on a minute. So so not only did this guy come up with an idea of a wooden sub. (laughs) He actually thought that would be an even great idea to go out to sea in it. Oh yeah, rather yeah, than, yeah. Rather than just like you know, let's be by the by the harbour wall just in case. And oh no, 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 they were down. they're in they're in Plymouth Sound, but they're just in the deep part of the channel, so right. they could get some depth, which was not a very good idea. No, no, that's the <laughs> that's the scary part. But that was also part of the bet. Like he had to go deep enough. You just see these two, these two, you know, these two guys, you know, sitting in a, one of the many, many gin establishments in Plymouth, you know, 
Some drunk, alcohol was consumed. Oh, drunkenly trying to decide this, you know, and you know how it's going to work. And, and he did and the guy who wanted to do it didn't have any money. So he found this guy um, in, in it, in a, you know, in a, in a fabulous pub because every other place in Plymouth was a pub and every third shop was a knocking shop. So many ladies of negotiable affection um, trying to figure out how, how to do this. Um, and they come up with this, they promote it. There's little pamphlets on it, you know, come out for the day and, you know, see, see the submarine working. What a history. Um, so basically what he built wasn't a sub, it was a coffin. Oh yeah, no, no, exactly. It's exactly what <laughs> really? it is. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's, it, it was a coffin. And so the, so the, so after this, so we've got these two very interesting fellows. Now, now comes along someone who, who, who is a doctor who says, you know what, now, because he's at this depth, he's like, he's in suspended animation. We can get him back and revive him. Of course. If we can find the submarine. So they find the submarine and they, they pick it up and then they move it and they drop it again. But they still think that he's alive in there. And this goes on for like three or four weeks. And then they end up dropping it and they can't they can't find it again. So we know kind of where it's at. Yeah. Right. And then we could find the ballast piles because the ballast piles are specific, they're they're very unique. And to go and find days, you know, submarine by this, but we need to clean up Plymouth Sound first. But it's just this fabulous story you get to see. Yeah. Yeah. In there with his little his little candle and his block of cheese and his, you know, and his 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 um his watch. And he was just gonna, you know, go down for 20 minutes and then come back up. And where and, does all this information come from? Is it just well, there, well, there's a there's a famous book about it about the recovery, which we 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 have a copy of. We I don't know if you can see behind me. We have a re- rather impressive library. Yeah, 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 yeah. So some of it's back there, and then kind of pulling all the stuff together, you can read about um, the Red Maria on the Ships Project website, which we've wow. done like on all of the because we've got seven treasure wrecks in Plymouth Sound as well. So lots of Dutch East Indian men and gold that hasn't been recovered. So oh. yeah, so that's it. We were out. We were out this past week on Wednesday looking for one of those treasure wrecks when we found the blue lobster. So again, like it was only by accident we kind of ran into all of that. You know, blue lobsters. Yeah, up at um, farms we see them quite a lot. Well, I think this is. I think this is a funny thing. It de- depending on where you're at, they're mm. actually more common. I've only ever seen blue lobsters. Well, I, I, I think the one that like the one that we saw on Wednesday was actually quite if you looked at it, it's like it's like the exoskeleton in towards the abdomen. It had quite white and blue. So it was quite mm. light, oh, light, okay. light blue. And then I've seen very, very dark blue, almost like, mm. you know, what like unoxygenated blood looks like kind of blue. Yeah. 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 And I, a couple yeah. of years ago, we saw lots, didn't we? But this time we didn't. They they were not blue, were they? I saw blue. What colours not, did you think? <laughs> normal. <laughs> <laughs> not as many as previous. I just thought they were always blue. And North Norfolk, we've seen blue ones. Yeah. Mm. On the Rosalie. So what colour are they normally? Because I've only ever seen Brown. blue lobsters. Brownie colour. Yeah, yeah, they're like, they. I, I've got, yeah, I'll, um, I'll send this picture over to you. But I, I got a picture of, because they've, I think they've, I think the other thing is they've only just kind of been noticed. So you've got a lot of people then like noticing these lobsters. And I found a picture of one next to like your, because it's still a common lobster. They're not genetically different. They're just a color differential. Mm. 
So like, so there's like your normal lobster. Yeah. yeah. It's a bit brownie. You can soon see some red coloring and then the blues. Mm. Yeah. You know, are really, really blue. Yeah. And, and then the connective tissue is a bit, is it the coloring is different as well? So instead of we being. Probably, we probably should say for our podcast listeners that you've just held up a picture ah, yes. <laughs> of uh, two lobsters, one from brown, one from blue. Yes. Yeah. And, um, and I, I didn't know this until I, I, I asked somebody for it. But if you cook up a blue lobster, they stay blue and they get brighter blue. And then all of the connective tissue in between turns red. Really? Yeah. So instead of, so it's a different thing. So like the connective tissue on uh, a normal lobster without this like B protein, they turn red and like the, the connective tissue in between the exoskeleton turns a bit white. Yeah. Gemma's taken notes. I don't know if you know this, but Gemma's day job is fish. Uh, fish. <laughs> wholesale fish. Yeah. And I didn't know that. I, I mean, obviously we've seen blue lobsters, but I don't think we've sold blue lobsters or we've had any because they usually get imported. But yeah. Yeah. No, I think that because I think a couple of them, uh, they well, they were found in the, uh, the only ones that I've ever seen have been found like in crates. Mm. Or like fishermen have got them before they've gone into market yeah. because you just, you know, you just wouldn't see them. You're not seeing like that many lobsters. Yeah. So, yeah, I did see one. Somebody sent me a picture of one um, about, it was probably about a month ago that looked almost like a ghost lobster. Like it was almost white. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But I just thought it was like, you know, a, you know, it's again, it's a lack of something. There's a guy, a Canadian guy. I don't know if you follow him on Instagram and uh, he's always picking, he, he is a lobster fisherman mm. and uh, he put notches in the tail when he finds uh, an egger, as he called, I've got an egger here. And he gives him a, a fish as a little treat and he sends them back and, he put a little notch in the towel so when they get caught. And he was saying that um, for every pound, there are seven years, approximately. Yes, yes, that's what like the the fisherman had said to us who uh, who passed him off, so that she, he had weighed her and he had approximated that she was about fifty years old. Wow. wow. Yeah, she was. I mean, she was big. If she could have taken, sure, her claws could have taken off one of my like my fingers. She was really large. Yeah. <laughs> do we have the yeah. same agreement in the you know in the uk that you know with uh with a certain size you know we are we don't take them so uh, not small ones but when they get to a big size do we like say that's it you know we don't we don't take them i i don't believe so and uh, Gemma, i don't think that that is, no i mean the biggest you know. we've probably had is two three kilos because i think once they get maybe to, you've got to cook them right through and you're not going to get a decent product at the end of it probably but no that you know they get to a certain size and they don't taste very well either because you have to cook them for so long I, yeah. yeah it was i think it was about when i first came over um some of the 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 ancient old divers um had gotten one of like this massive lobster because i have i think i have one of the claws still given to me all of the the random stuff that's in the house and i remember tasting it and thought this isn't very good. <laughs> no, you don't want no. to be rude, though, do you? Like it's, <laughs> it's like initiation. More yeah. garlic required, or a bit more salt. That's right. Yeah, just every, you know, just you just cover everything in butter and garlic, and it's fine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so, go on, go on. 
No, I was just gonna say on a day to day basis or a week by week, do you get in the water most weeks to do survey work? And yeah, yeah, it's, uh, I'd say that you know um, most weeks we dive um, two to three times a week, and you know on mm. the other about four times a week. So yeah, so this week because we're just coming off springs. Yeah. It's been this like extremely crazy time of like, let's get all of the best that we can because we do the foreshore stuff on like the extreme low tides. And then on the neap tides, we're doing we're doing diving and the weather's been so good and dry down here Yeah, because it's not been it's not been the best of summers, like say that now probably storm like hell. Um, but um, we try to take advantage of it because we had a really good summer last year. It was like long, you, you know, long issues of dry weather, really good viz. Um, but you know, you can have visibility like we did this weekend, Wednesday, and it was like 10 meters and it looked tropical wow. or it can be like, it'd be like, <laughs> I can't see anything. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I, I couldn't believe it. We put the divers down and we like, we looked over the boat and we could see them like straight down to the bottom. Cause we were That's in the awesome. shallows. Yeah. I'll, I'll send you the video, but I took my GoPro off my, my, my mask. I put it over the boat could see the divers in 10 meters and like popped it up right in front of drake's island just couldn't believe it just like just like looked around could see the boat coming by yeah it just you know yeah and that shows what uk diving can give doesn't yeah. it like... yeah it, it can be absolutely magical i mean like i've had some of the best drift dives ever that you know have been in the uk because of like the colder waters you get for an archaeologist, you get better preservation when it comes to the archaeology. Yeah. Um, and um, you also have an abundance of sea life, which is just, you know, everywhere. And, um, you know, we have a, a, a you know, it's, it's, it really is just, I think it's just absolutely beautiful. And I don't, some, I don't think sometimes we realize how lucky we are to kind of go over, especially with the, the shore diving around yeah. the UK. Yeah. You know, there's so many places to go. You know, you just flop in anywhere, really. It's what we're yeah. gonna do tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> you you dive in a full face mask as well, don't you? I do. Yeah, we use um, OTS Guardians um, mm -hmm. because that's what um, that's what the HSE you know kind of recommends. Yeah. You know, uh, through water comps, and then uh, if we're doing media work, then we've got a recorder on our back. So yes, yeah, and I it's it's always it's a fun thing if you're like working heavily underwater, um, and I've I've done it and we did it that we did this past year with 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 the Ross Kemp TV series is we got a, a CO two hit, mm. you know, like you just you fill up this this cavern, yeah, because you're working underwater and uh, they're not I wouldn't say I'm absolutely in love with them but I do understand why we we use them especially for communication wise yeah you know they're brilliant yeah so every time you're like doing your survey work are you full face mask or do you is it depending on what work you're doing yeah it depends on what work we're doing mm. so when we were diving on wednesday we didn't have them on because we were working so shallow yeah um, we, we you know we had we were not no stops but if we're working on um say something like a deeper wreck that's in like um we're doing like a proper survey, not just like uh, uh, we'll do target diving. Like we don't know what it is. We'll go down, do a circle search and we'll come back. Usually for that, we don't we don't wear full face. Mm -hmm. but we're doing a survey 
where we know what we're doing. And we're also, we're, we might be doing some excavating. We'll wear the full face mask then so we can do, we can have comms with the surface so they can send down stuff to us. Yeah. Right. We'll have, yeah. We'll have an excavation license and we'll be, you know, lifting or, you know, using the water dredge or anything like that. With your comms, when they when you use them back to shore, are they live all the time, or do you have to push a button and then you hear a beep and then you talk? And um, with the with the guardians, no, unless I need to get to surface. So down below, divers, we can hear each other, and then if I want to go to surface, I have to push in to go to surface. They can okay. always kind of they if I want to go direct to surface, but surface can always kind of hear what our talking is between. But that's with the OTS system, so your yeah. comms are live all the time. Yeah, that's a good system, isn't it? All it right. is. Yeah, I know it's really good. I mean, it's only you know it's just a, a it's a little battery in the ear over here. Everything comes through here, and then you can. The other nice thing is if it's not working, you can reset the system underwater yourself. Yeah, that's good. So you can cycle the system, which is. You can't always do that with some of the other, um, the underwater full face masks. With with ours, we have to push a button, then talk. So we have to get our, bre our breathing, get the breathing right. right, get the hit, you know, even with listening as well. Otherwise, yeah. you know, you, you, you miss it. No, no, it depends on how you can, you can have them set up because you can have it from, um, from surface down from the communication box, how you want it set up on some of them. Okay. So it can be a bit easier, but I, yeah, out of the, was it the guardians, the, um, there was another full face I used to use yellow. I didn't like that one. It's my, my, my face was like, it was too squishy. So it didn't fit my face. Right. Oh, I think I, my, my um, I can't remember. And then my favorite is the, the Kirby Morgan band mask. If I had to wear anything that was um full face like that I'd, I'd pick the band mask every day it's just it's like a tv screen it's just comfy and it's just so nice so does that sit right on the face or is it more like a helmet it's a it's a it's a helmet but without the hard back so it's got like a neoprene zip that goes up this way right okay yeah. so it's like it's like this is this is all dry that you do and you've got like the big the big mm. rack down here yeah um but, you know, you're talking like a really major investment, which is why you only see them on commercial dive boats or you've got them because that's a that's a surface supply band yeah. mass kind of thing. But no, they're lovely. They're just like you go for a walk in them all day. <laughs> yeah, well, we're quite new to the full face mask thing. Yeah. So I think it's it's it is a learning curve. And yeah, but we're getting we're getting some hours out. On yeah, it. I saw you guys. You were trialing out the, the, the new three. one. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. How do you like them? Yeah, I like it. It's uh, yeah, just it's just getting it comfy on your face, yeah. and I yeah. think yeah, it's a whole new way of diving. It won't ever replace half mask. No, it's a uh, visual wise and vision. It's I think it's better, and you can turn your head, and you don't have to worry about you know bloody mask. And <laughs> it's getting the hood right. It seems to be because I, you know, you you feel like you're if you get it wrong, you either leak air or it feels like it's coming up. And, yeah, I, just, I, and I really don't want the Ross effect that Ross has described. What happened to him? His yes. eye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, God, I forgot about that. Yeah, it turned into Popeye on that that incident. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so um, you can get like a pressure differential. It can be, you know, you can just be, you can just be leaking terribly. So like, you know, with like the full face mask, you do these two bands first. 
yeah. you tighten up there and then this one's only slightly you only slightly use this one now the the trick that we use is that we have cut our our mat our, our hoods specifically for warm weather so that they're like they're slightly open up here or you invert the mat you invert your hood and the mass sits on the hood yeah it's inverted and that that i would say works almost 90% of the time to give you the best seal is to use it on the inverted hood because it, it connects. It's almost like that, you know, the, um, the shark skin that's on yeah. the inside. It sits, it sits best there. Um, so you turn always, your hood inside out. Is that yep. what you mean? Oh, okay. Yep. <laughs> invert, yeah. Invert the hood, turn it inside out, put it on mask on like, you know, the skim sits yeah on the edge of the hood that is that shark skin then the and smooth that... part sorry the smooth part the smooth part yeah because my hood has got that built on i got i got that from northern diver and that's got a um I think like that's a... Like seal skin put around the around the the, the yes face of it. is it on is on the outside of your hood as well as the inside because usually it's on the inside to kind of like to to be against the skin so that's on the your... outside on the outside yeah, yeah. It's a piece of, and that's band, what they sell with, yeah. with yes yeah, that band yeah, yeah. Okay. no because I've, I've got the i've got a water i think i've been using waterproof hoods for quite a while so i'll i'll turn mine inside out and then i'll put the mask on mm. oh it's that. worth a try it is <laughs> yeah you know just because sometimes you just can't get the seal right because um i always have a problem with the nose dams with in those like because it has to be um, I've got a problem with my ear. I inverted my eardrum like three times. So I just got it. I've got a dodgy ear. So I've got to kind of take it easy going down. Um, and if I don't have the nose dam right, because it has to sit so far that you can push it up easily. Yeah. But if it's too far up, then you can't, they can't hear you while you're trying to describe like the archaeology that you're yes. seeing. <laughs> That's what happens yes. to you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Just like, you're just sitting yeah. there like, oh, you're know, <laughs> trying to describe something. And here we have one of the most interesting things I've ever seen in the world, except I can't describe it because I can't speak. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's very much trial and error I think it's just uh, yeah it's... but there you go we're getting on we're getting there aren't we yeah <laughs> okay. but it's, I think it's worth anybody giving it a go just to do yeah. a try dive and see how they feel and yeah yeah, yeah. well I, I think it you know I think it depends on what what you're what you're doing and you know why you're using it because it's always nice to try different things um, you know, and we use it specifically because it's what's recommended for media, um, scientific and scuba when we're, we're doing mm. things like that. And we've got two sets with, a, you know, with a comms box. Um, and it, it, you know, if you're doing, you've got two sets of divers, you know, working like, you know, underwater independently. They're brilliant for trying to be able to coordinate yeah stuff like yeah. that and obviously you need it for like you know doing tv shows because it's all very well us floating around but if you can't get that like reactionary stuff when you get to see it for like the first time you know you kind of lost the moment it's true isn't it? yeah and you know would you know i i think ross has been the whole program um has been really good uh for bringing diving and shipwrecks you know to the masses and that you know and that's what we have to remember is about bringing it to the masses and the people who see that have seen his um 
series um you know probably never be underwater never you know that they, they're not they don't want to go underwater but they're they're happy to sit there in their living room in the comfort they're on the sofa and they can see like all this stuff is underwater and they're like wow you know and maybe you know after watching that they'll they'll think hey i'm gonna try this diving lark that looks that looks good no, he's done. He he's done really well in introducing the whole idea of shipwrecks and diving to an like his audience, yeah. which is a very different audience. Which you know you just you know you can't say enough about because they they're extremely loyal. Um, and I think the other thing is is that it worked really well with us. Is that I get excited about something, and then Ross gets excited about it, and then I'm excited because Ross is excited. Yeah, and then all kind of comes out in the wash. Because if you've got somebody who, I mean, because Ross has never done anything like this before, you know what I mean? You kind of get, you know, you get chucked into it. It was like, oh, you know what you're going to do for this TV series. Um, And then, because I remember in the first, in the first series, they like the first dives that they had done after he got certified, they sent him to Scapa. And you know what the tides are like up there. And you don't really have time to kind of enjoy what you're trying to do if you're trying to look for something specifically yeah. rather than just going for a dive because you're thinking about all of the environmental things and all the stuff that can kill you yeah. <laughs> and he's got to think of something interesting to say so, yeah yeah, yeah. You know, and you keep buoyant. yep yep and keep buoyant not say fuck all the time and um <laughs> But you can this, hear everything, can't you? This yeah, is- I knew that. Yeah, like depending on what's going on, there's a lot of beeping. Like I can't believe but that's he, what you just did. But <laughs> he hasn't done a huge amount of diving, had he? And you think, no. you know, he was really given a big task to do because, as we just said, you know, you wouldn't normally say to someone who's done. I know he was a di- he, he has dived before, but he hasn't done loads of. He's not like you know some of the people who we've had on here have done like thousands of dives. They don't think nothing of dropping into the, you know, the English channel and in the most murkiest conditions. Mm. But if you was to say to someone who's done, let's say 50 dives and say, right, what we're going to do, we're going to give you on full face dive. We're going to get you doing commercial stuff. And at the same time, you're going to be doing all this down at 30 meters in some pretty, you know, bleak conditions You've got to be keep your buoyancy. You've got to be in the right place for the cameras, uh, so you lit. We can see your face, and when you've done all that, you've got to think some interesting things to say in front of the camera. That's a pretty oh. big ask. Oh, it's a, it's a massive ask, and I yeah. think he did it. I know I think he did it really, really well. Yeah, even in like some of like the most challenging conditions, like you know, I, the worst dive I've ever had in the whole of the UK was the dive that we had on the James Egan lane. I have never had a worse dive in my life. I yeah. couldn't even see the wreck. It's a World wow. War II Liberty ship. And it was right here next to me. And I like, it was right there and I couldn't see it. So we went down the shot line and I was like, oh, that's a bit weird. Like it should be right there. We should at least see the shadow of it. And I kind of, I put my, I hooked my reel on the line and I swam out and I ran straight into it. I was like, oh God, this is going to be terrible. <laughs> and we got over to hold one and we kind of dropped in because the tide was already pushing. Cause you know what it's like with TV crew. They're always like, can we do this again? Can we do that again? And like, oh. they don't understand Thai. They don't understand that it just doesn't, it just doesn't diving. wait. No, they don't understand diving. Nobody understands diving unless you're diving. 
you know, and you're trying to be accommodating because that's why they're there. They're there to get shots. They're there to get the right thing for, you know, for the program. So it's all about this, like this give and take with it. Um, And we got into the hold and I was like screwing around and I looked over at Ross and I could see just like the air just pissing out the top of his, his, his mask. And I thought, oh, that's not very good. And I looked at his compass and I was like, I looked at his gauge and I was like, oh God, we got to go home now. (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, because you're sitting there and he's, you know, he's constantly giving a narration of like what's going on and he does really good pieces to camera. But it's just one of those things like to ask all of that, Yeah, you know, got the, you know, we missed the tide. We, you know, you're at 25 meters. You're in, you know, it's, it's just crap viz. You've got to tell a really good story. You know, you've got a whole diving crew around you that, you know, you're kind of performing for as well, Yeah. yeah. you know, and then you've only got like this day to do it. You got to do something. You know, going from like, you know, he had been, he had done like Patty beforehand. He had gone on, you know, like how everyone does like yeah. on holiday, but these are very different types of diving, especially yeah. if you're working underwater. And I think he did brilliantly with that. And also telling those stories, you know, you know, for background for him. And, you know, we were, when he, when he, he finally came to Plymouth and we were able to kind of work in the shallows and we had good visibility you know, we were underwater looking at a World War, um, a Napoleonic shipwreck that we found called um, HMS Amethyst. And I couldn't get him out of the water. We were in there for 75 <laughs> minutes. Wow. You know, looking at this and using the medley tucker and finding this stuff. And he absolutely loved it. Like, you know, they were like, no, we got enough shots of like, and the cameramen like left. Like, he just like, you know, we're done. And we stay down for another 25 minutes. So you can, you know, if you get someone excited about this, mm-hmm. they're, yeah. you know, they're the best person to then tell about, you know, the rest of the population about this. He was yeah. such a good advocate. Yeah. you know for history and that and he was also fun to work with because he doesn't he doesn't have an ego you know you could take you know he, he was he's a really nice person because yeah. we could do this like a uh, uh ross kemp story bingo because you could just like pick out things like you just put like a bingo chart like with like in the middle of it like a goat you could put goat near like your bingo and he'd have a fabulous story about some goat blowing up somewhere like you know that he had to <laughs> land on well he's done some wrong stuff you know i was watching him out in afghanistan and um he was in the thick of it you know there's bullets and rpgs flying around and he's up there um i think he was with um i can't remember who it was but one of the marine marines and uh british troops and um yeah you know he he don't shy from it and um that comes through with the diving as well and uh yeah, uh, I think um, I think you both have done a really good thing for bringing diving to the masses, and uh, yeah. in a modern modern way, you know what appealed to you know people who sit in a tower block and will never pretend, never would have seen underwater if you hadn't made the programs. No, and I think that's also really important to say that the you know I, we got a bit of flack about you know a few things from the diving community about the TV show, but the TV show wasn't made for divers. No, no, it's exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, you know, where a lot of like Andy's and you know and uh, you know Andy Torbit stuff is it's made for the diving community, but and with Mont in the Monty stuff as well, even Monty stuff. I mean, the other stuff it's 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 also it's a bit of both. 
you know, yeah. but you know, there's a, there's a base understanding of what they're doing because they know that there's an audience that will watch that. Like we're not going into the technical stuff about mm. why, how we're doing and what we're doing, the full face mask and the comms and all of that stuff in the air and the tank size and blah, blah, blah. Because the guy in the tower block just doesn't care about that. No, and, and it's absolutely fine. It's entertainment exactly. at the end of the day. It's yeah. And, and this, I've seen comments, you know, like on Facebook with the keyboard warriors and stuff. And you're absolutely right. You know, the programs weren't, weren't, and he never, and I don't believe it, he never set out to say, right, you know, I'm going to go down and I'll be the deepest diver and I'll be all this. And that weren't about that. It, it never was. It was all, it was about bringing diving and history to the masses, you know, yeah. and you can't, I think people forgot that and didn't and didn't think, well, hold on a minute. Somehow you've got to make a program which people like Amazon would want to buy and Sky will want to buy and make it appealing. And unfortunately, if you was to send a diver, you know, down to a hundred meters and it's all dark and grim and all that. And how appealing is that going to be to the masses? It's just not. No, and the, yeah, it's it's just and the no other thing is it. it's no one's gonna watch it. No, no, and I, I I think that's really hard to translate because you know because I'm so engulfed in the, like the diving community, you know, and we understand like you know what needs to go into like a hundred meter dive, what goes into a thirty meter dive, what goes even into like a fifteen meter dive, you know, all of that, and mm-hmm. that's just going out to have the dive. That's not planning yeah. the dive for anyone else to see the dive. You know what I mean? Because yeah. we you know we fuck up all the time, but nobody has a camera in front of our face, do they? They're not seeing every stupid thing that we do. Yeah. Yeah, that's very you know, true. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I you know, I think that Ross is always really, you know, was great about that because we did we you know, there are fuck ups that happen. There are, you know, we went the wrong way, couldn't, you know, I, it was even on my site, couldn't find anything because we had terrible vis that you know, we had to go out the the absolute next day and lay lines to go out, you know. Mm-hmm. We just don't have a camera in front of us. And I think the other thing is if it's at a hundred meters and somebody who doesn't dive is watching it, it could be on the moon. It's completely and totally unrealistic but if something's in 20 meters of water there is a possibility that they could go and become a scuba diver and they could go and see those things themselves yeah yeah not everything within that program was within the realms of possibility for you know joe blogs on the street yeah 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 no really good that's a Yeah. yeah so do you think there'll be another series the, the, yeah, there's there's plans for series three. Yeah, yeah. we're you know we're talking about it and you know um, you know what what we want to do and why we want to do it and you know what we learned from you know two seasons before mm. you, know, you know and also we we had we I think one of the best things that we did was we went on the Mary Rose. Yes, you know, that was yeah. You know I think that some of the best pieces to camera that Ross has ever done was on the Mary Rose because it was just so moving and we had this amazing you know time there because i uh my husband has worked on the mary rose before and he's the the survey manager so he's you know he goes you know when you get down there it's going to be as black as the inside of a cow and i got down there and i was like i can see for ages (laughs) i can see everything i go this is like we have this amazing visibility and then we started to find all the finds as well because we you know we didn't expect to see anything you know diving on the marrow site is one thing but we you know we found you know archaeological material that was part of the tudor time period Mm. and it didn't this didn't get into the cut because of what happened but we were 
we were doing different things and I was waiting on the shot line for everyone to come back and then we we're going to surface together. And I was waiting and I thought, oh, I'll just have a couple minutes off because until like, you know, the craziness dies down. And I was sitting there in amazing visibility because like, and I had a seahorse just bop across me on the seabed. Wow. Wow. And I, I got the audio somewhere and I was like, fuck me. No one's going to believe this. <laughs> I, I thought it, I thought it, I thought for a second I was narked and I was like no way no, it's real yeah and, I, and then I could hear on the comms that the whole the whole slot of like seven more divers were coming back towards me and I was like I could just see this poor thing like you know gonna get <laughs> like you know blown away so I like I grabbed it and I like swam five meters that way to go poof you know be free my friend don't get you know caught in our craziness and while I was doing that, because you're not allowed to touch seahorses, you're not allowed to do any of that. You're not supposed to interact with them. It's not like we were da- there for that. And as I was like swimming by, Richie Stevenson, who is the who's the camera guy on it, was like pointing toward my my hands sure. like this. Because usually, if I've got something in my hands, it means I've got like some archaeology to, to <laughs> yeah. show. And I was like, and then Ross was next to me because somehow we, the three of us, like we exited like the, the, the cat in the bath divers that we were, we were with and Ross is next to me. And I like, I opened my hands and I could hear Richie behind the camera squealing because we've never, I've never seen a seahorse. Okay. I've never, ever seen one. So Richie's got this and it just like floats up and it goes away and Ross is standing there and he puts his hand out and it like, it curls its tail around his hand. and (laughs) And it was like this, like we all looked at each other. We're like, you know, we just got done diving in Mary Rose which would, was like the height of the whole day. And then we saw this seahorse, which we couldn't talk about. And we couldn't show any of it. No, not on TV. <laughs> we can't, we had, you know, and we were like, it was like, we're all sitting there. We just like watched it go away. We're like, oh my God, got back yeah. on the boat. Did you see that? Because I thought, I really did think for the first couple of minutes when I was watching, it, I thought, am I narked? I was like, I can't be narked. It's only 12 meters. <laughs> Wow, that's an amazing story. That's a yeah, yeah. Really. No, I'll probably I'll never I'll never see one again. That was it. And it, you know, it was it was only like yeah, that's know. a one in a lifetime, isn't it? Really, <laughs> on, on the on the Mary Rose. On the Mary Rose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, special times. Yeah, really, really good. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. Um, we can talk about it, but we can't show anything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, see, I always thought they had everything up, and that wasn't until we spoke to Alex. Um, uh, what was Alex's surname? Um, Hildred. Hildred. Oh, Alex Hildred. <laughs> yeah. When I, when um she she was explaining that you know they had to leave some of it down there because you know we there's we haven't got the money to get it all up, so it's best place it's left down there. Yeah, yeah. There's 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 quite a bit down there. There's even some of the early excavation pits from like the the bones that were on board, not human bones, but like the the animals that were on board. There's there's yeah. there's several um, uh, um, uh, pits of those as well. And then there's the bow castle. We also there's also the, the one of the rails that got lost. That was originally what we were supposed to go find. Okay. And we that was supposed to be part of the series that we we're going to go and try and find. Um, one of the rails that got lost like it got you're supposed to bring it up we're going to put it over here bring it up later it's about eight ten meters long but then the whole thing changed with the the scouring out from the historic mooring chain which is something now that you know we're following up about but that only happened by accident only happened that we found out that it was doing so much damage because of the ross kemp show 
Yeah. You know, it's one of the reasons to kind of do these things and to talk about what's going on and to put a little bit of money into, you know, looking at our protected racks in that way and going back and visiting them because, you know, there isn't a ton of money. Mm. This is why part of the Marrows is still down there because it's yeah. so expensive for conservation and monitoring, monitoring, you know, protected yeah. racks. There's, it just costs so much money to, you know, send out crews and dive crews and boats and, you know, write up reports and all of that stuff. So yeah. it's nice to get like the public or the outsiders involved in seeing some of this stuff and why it's important. I mean, cause you know, you think about what it took 25 years to conserve the main portion of the hall of the Mary Rose. Yeah. And it's still a yearly issue. You know, yeah. it costs 4 million a year just to keep the Mary Rose running. Yeah. So and that's not doing any kind of initiative with any more of the. And that is an amazing thing. You know, I, I know we've, you know, we went down there uh, recently to have a look, and we shared about it on here before. And um, it is an amazing Bumming, uh, yeah. museum, and uh, you you can't help you start like walk in the, the in the airlock, don't you? And you like look at it and you think, wow, that yes. is an amazing sight to see. No, it isn't. I mean, uh, how I wish that we had, you know, endless amounts of money that we could do that for so many shipwrecks, yeah. like to to walk through them, because not all shipwrecks, I have that much left of them. Yeah. You know what I mean? When we think about it, because, you know, all four of those levels had fines in it, you know, and then the other half of the, the you know, the ship, you know, yeah. um, disintegrated away. But imagine being able to do that for so many of like the other shipwrecks to bring it up because it comes alive for those that don't dive and the other thing is is like even for the divers who worked on it they only saw like a section of where they were mm. working at that was like this it wasn't until everything got that, that got brought up that you put into context of a shipwreck i mean most of the times when i work on a shipwreck i have it's unless we know what that type of ship was like okay it's it's a a 36 gun you know napoleonic frigate Unless you have the plans of something like that, mm. putting that yeah. picture together in your head, it's only in the small sections that you're working on that you can put it together. And that's the person who's working on it. My God, you know, you know, for the poor person who's trying to figure out exactly what's going on or like, why, why is this archaeologist losing her shit? Because it's so exciting because <laughs> you can't understand it. it. It's very hard to put that all into context. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a really interesting subject, and yeah, just bringing what's under the water up to the people that yeah, can see it. Yeah, yeah. the the Mirrors is one of the best museums. So having because we I did some work with the World War II Museum in New Orleans, and they've got four city blocks now to kind of tell the story of like World War II mm. through, the, through the American vision. And the Mary Rose does a really good job of you know putting that through in the does, space yeah. that they have. Yeah. yeah it's good 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 museum that is mm. um we better sort of um do our questions um so with with this in mind if you had if you could take three people down who who would you uh take diving with you oh gosh let's see um i'm gonna take diving with me um Well, I just, I lost a really good friend recently called Ray Ives. He was in a, uh, a really old diver kind of uh, taught me about like um, going for a scranny or going for a, uh, 
uh, a fossic, which is kind of an organized scranny to find some spidge, which spidge is like, you know, the word for a diver. And he just passed away um, at the end of oh, August. Yeah. yeah. But he was 87. And he, he went when, what he do, he did loving, he went, he went, he died while he was scuba diving. So that's exactly how he wanted to go. Probably found that very large gold mermaid that he constantly was looking for. <laughs> so I, I have to say, uh, take Ray Ives for a dive. Um, and then uh, I it, take Ross as well. Take Ross Kemp. And then I probably say take Alex Hildred. Because mm. um, yeah. I sp- I've spent a lot of time with her on different different stuff. And we've been discussing this and we're going back to, you know, to kind of monitor this issue. And she always thinks of something differently from how I'm thinking about it, because I'm thinking about it from a very practical point of view. And she's putting together the picture, you know, and like this stuff, because she has this amazing amount, you know, of of, of history and the background of what she's done with the Mary Rose Trust. And I just I just love spending time with her. I always feel like mm. become a better archaeologist for, um, for for that. So those are the three people I like to take diving. She was great on the podcast as well. And yeah. Uh, so much info and and you're like wow you know you could talk to her for hours you know and you're just like learning all the time you know it's like wow i didn't uh you know didn't know yeah no you know she came over for dinner not that long ago and we were i've got um the thing that i'm really interested in like is in in pottery specifically and then she was telling me about this pottery book and that pottery book and i was like oh i didn't know that they did this and i was like i was showing her some of the like because we were looking at we just found some medieval pottery and she was like have you thought about this and you thought about that like no and like you know like the book list goes up the amazon carts full of books again (laughs) yeah no she's she's yeah a real character yeah full of amazing facts yeah yes yeah yeah so is there anything that takes you out of your comfort zone um I would say deep diving on the full face mask Mm. anything that's over 30 meters on the on the full face mask I'm really very conscious about because of how you consume your air yeah because yeah. if you're on the full face mask, the reason you're on it is so you can talk. Yeah. Yeah. You and know, you're using it at <laughs> yeah. an insane rate. <laughs> yeah. They're trying to be conscious about that, trying to kind of, you know, talk about that. And I also think like I, I've, I've kind of noticed myself like, you know, I'll do 40, 50 meter dives, like, you know, mixed gas stuff. And it's really then about being conscious of, because I'm always about I'm diving to do something. I'm not just going for a dive to kind of look look at something, mm. and kind of balancing all of those tasks to make sure that I don't do anything silly. Right. Um, so yeah, you know, post th- <laughs> deeper than thirty meters on a full face mask. Kind of, I wouldn't say I'm uncomfortable, but I, I certainly am paying a lot more attention. Mm. Yeah, we've only done eighteen meters haven't we and that yeah. was only once in our full face masks and i think it's something with depth you with in them i think you slowly kind of build your experience up rather than rush into it yeah. yes and we've taken that very slowly yeah. doing any depth yeah 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 it's something that you have to slowly kind of work up to um you know to stay really you know, really careful and you're conscious of how you're breathing mm-hmm. yeah. um, on the full face mask and why, you know, and 
why you're down there. And the other thing is like, once you've accomplished your task that you can come home, you know what I mean? Like, that's it. You're done. Let's go home. Yeah. 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 Um, so it's a, it's a different, it's a different type of diving where if you go for like, you're going for a bimble and you're, you know, you're, you know, you're out to just, you know, have a nice day. Yeah. It's a, you know, it's a very different thing. And like, oh, I'm at, you know, I've got a hundred bar left. We'll stay a bit longer. If you're at, if you're at a hundred bar and you finish what you were doing, you go home. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's two types of different diving, isn't it? It's... It is. Yeah. They're very mm. different. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Uh, last question. So, um, this is a one that we always ask everybody. So we're going to give you a billboard. Okay. And you can put anything you like on it. You can put a picture, video, you can put a statement, whatever, whatever you want, but the whole world is going to see it. What are you going to put on it and why? Um, let's see. Hmm. That's a really good one. Uh, there's, so there's, there's two things, I, I guess. And it's about, I guess. Okay. So I've got a video because I've, I've always been asked like, what's the best thing you've ever found like underwater. And I've got a video because I always wear a GoPro up here um, of finding this sailor's token underwater for like the first time, like wafting away. And it's a little gaming token that would okay. have been used in like um it like a game that you would have had on deck. Um, so like a monopoly type thing or like it's a, a little it's a it's brass? a little yeah it's a little brass almost like it's the size of like um uh, like was it uh like a ten p coin okay yeah. and but it's got um a, a symbol on it that is it's a um it's um a um, uh god i can't think of it it's um it's a symbol from a different alphabet i can't think of the uh the name of it and i remember it like like coming into like because it hadn't been seen for like 200 years it's bright brass wow wow and i thought it's absolutely amazing the last person who had this was like in a sailor's pocket and they were on deck playing and now it just kind of revealed itself in the sand, you know. That was feel when you when you feel something when you find something like that. How does it make you feel? Oh, just like I just get, I just like the other thing is like you stop, like at least for like thirty seconds, and you're like you're kind con- like all this is like rushing through your head about what it could be, what it is, and where it's at, and where you where you were at. How do I how do I do that? And then you go, that's just so fucking cool. And that <laughs> like goosebumps. Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. Because we were we were diving this past Wednesday, and I thought I had found something. Um, because I thought I found another silver coin, and then it was lead. Because lead and silver can look quite similar underwater with like how the oxidation looks like. And then it was then it was just a piece of lead, and I was like, oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> you can even see on my GoPro, just like even here underwater, like. Oh, <laughs> and i think that like but that that video takes some translation like you can't just show the video without like giving some explanation about what's going mm. on and i always like to do like if we're doing posts or we're talking about things i like to show things that don't take a massive amount of translation so that the public gets it like right away yeah and i think that putting up 
the the sonar image of all of those tires on Plymouth Sound because you can tell that they're tires and the seabed is just covered in them. It looks a bit like a moon landing. That's what I would put on a big poster board. And I think a lot of people think that like somebody else is going to clean up the sea. So I think that's really good. But uh, the question I've got coming back from that is, you know, has this made the like local press down there about because the non-diving community, just like people who live around the area, they, surely they should be shocked that all this is down there. I think it's part. I think it's hard getting this kind of information out. Like when we we did the crowdfunder, it first got like some traction, but trying to translate what if you if you don't dive, trying to translate what the seabed looks like. Because it's not like this like magical place with shipwrecks with their masts up and like sails on and this pristine environment. It's actually full of rubbish. It really is. And especially around the edges where yeah. if you do any kind of shore diving and one, I don't think a lot of people want to hear that, you no. know, that yeah. this is what the the under this is what the underwater world looks like. And two, how do you translate that if you don't have very good visibility? Because you can't really see more than 10 meters. And it's always going to be that front-facing perspective of a diver. And unless you dive, you don't understand that perspective. So the only way to get kind of those holistic views is to use the sonar. But you have to then explain what the sonar looks like. Because it does look like a moon landing picture. <laughs> and I'm hoping in the next couple of weeks, like we're going to get the press release out about Green Energy being involved in taking that stuff, that we can kind of do this big push about this is what the marine park looks like. This is what our shores look like around the UK. And it's not just, you know, we've got issues here with the sewage outfalls, you know, mm. around the UK as well. But it's a combination of things. Out of, in- out of interest. You know, is there like certain brands that on these tires and you think, hold on a minute, these tires, these companies are still going. Yes. Yeah. So without like probably best to mention them in in public, but maybe it could be worth having the word for some of these companies and saying, did you know that some of your tires uh, uh, are actually now littering the seabed? Do you have some kind of responsibility about that? Because, you know, all these companies, the big brands out there who have got a hell of a lot more money than the rest of us have, you know, it's not really going to do. And they're all under pressure about being green and being environmentally aware and things like that. Um, You know, and although they might not be directly responsible for how those tires actually got in there, but, you know, they are kind of responsible for producing them and what happens to them afterwards. And they might not have any responsibility for the point that they're there, but they do have responsibility for what happens to them and getting them up. Yes, yes. And when when, when we started the crowdfunder, I was communicating with the UK Tire Manufacturer Association. Yeah. Um. However, I need to go back to them because they they wanted to know, they wanted me to ask them something to do. Do you know what I mean? But if there's at the time, and now we're we're in a different scenario, I want to go back and have a big ask 
because mm. you can't some yeah. of these you know some of this stuff is like knowing how to ask and what you're asking for because asking for like a couple thousand for something is like they may not take it seriously but if you have a big ask that you've really thought about and how you now see it it's going to translate into you know into the project because this is going to be like a 10-year project now i can go back and say right we know how we're going to do this we have a place for the tires to go they're going back to a circular economy and, you know, there is a bit of responsibility to those, mm. you know, to those manufacturers. And I think I'd also like to, you know, kind of give back. So I, my plan is to do that. The one thing I haven't been really good about it, though, is because we're getting the tires up. I always forget to get the tire manufacturer's name from the side of the tire because we're yeah. always so busy digging them up. I Because there's dates on the tires as well, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, because a lot of the stuff we were we were first pulling up, we were talking about the stuff that's in Jenny Cliff, like where the... Uh, uh, where some of the um, the yachts come in and the cruise lines come into um, uh, into anchor, and those tires are almost all from the eighties, like early eighties. Right, crazy. Let's say so. So that was more like, and they didn't have any holes in them, so they yeah. weren't fenders. Mm. Another like, I, yeah. put, I I found a crisp packet uh, a while ago, and I shared about it. And that was 20 years old, Chris Packer. And that was, apart from the dirt that was on it, it wasn't, it was, it was, mint, it was yeah. in mint condition. And I, I tweeted the, uh, the company and uh, never got a response, funny enough, about the uh, 20 year old Chris Packet. Yeah. They, they, they ignored that. Sh- yes. Sure, tweeted the picture to him and said, what do you rank to this? Yes. And I think that's, that's part of, you know, part of doing a good project like this is trying to do good communications. Yeah. You know, so we have to think about how we're saying it and why we're saying it and also getting a little bit of heat behind, you know, this is controversial. It can't, you know, I know everyone's really excited about the Britain's first national marine park. And so am I. However, the best thing to do is to clean it up before we start yeah. putting, like mm. doing more you know, things to bring up conservation because we can't do, you know, responsible conservation in a garbage pit. Yes. You can't, you you know, you can't do that. It's not, it won't work. You know, we'll just be wasting that money if we, if we haven't cleaned it up. And, you know, even, even in some of the areas, because the other thing is, is there's, there's a historic layer of coal in Plymouth because yeah. of we had a, we had a coal refueling area here so in certain places on the seabed it's just covered in coal dust so if you if you do any type of coring which we were we were helping with some of these coring interpretations if they go through a layer of carbon which is coal yeah they'll they'll biologists will think well what this has got to be something that has died off and is there not thinking that it's a historic issue Mm. And then the interpretation is different. So you have to bring in all of this research to kind of, you know, understand like historic ports and harbors and things like that. And it is, there's just, there's just crap everywhere. I mean, like we went for a dive. I've got a video I need to put up. We went for a dive this week around the waterfront and I was heading out to, because I knew there were some tires out there and we went past like all of, because there's a big harbor and there's lots of anglers and there was so much fishing line down there. It was disturbing. There was just mattresses and mattresses of fishing line. And then they get caught on each other. And by the time we got back, I had this massive bag 
a fishing line and we had been down for like it never found the tires because we didn't get past it wow. and then found all the ang- angling line found two electric bikes that had been dumped in and then i also found one of those like a uh a lobster hook like one of those proper hooks like to get lobsters or crabs like out of holes yeah yeah. Yeah. it was just it was like this massive collection of stuff like you know it was like five pounds of lead weights and i don't know how many hundreds of meters of line you know that's down there and you know and that's catching on other stuff because it was wrapped around a couple of um it was wrapped around the, the base of a couple of crabs as well. And they can't get anywhere. And, you know, I think it's just about being a bit more responsible. So if we are diving, yeah. you know, at least cut them up, you know, yeah. you know, into because they just get caught and caught and caught and stuff. And I, I think once you start seeing this stuff, it's in about and it's about getting those videos out as well. Yeah. Yeah. About Social what media. this looks like. Yeah. 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 You know, and also going out to because. The other stuff that was there, and I don't know how this happens, is just full fishing um, rods. Like the whole rod is down there and the reel and the whole thing. Like they're just, you know, and we collected a bunch of those. And I like, I like looked at it afterwards. I was like playing with it. Like, I don't, I don't fish, but I was like, this all seems to be in working order. How is it all, get there? <laughs> how, what, did somebody like, is this one of those things like happens with golf? Like, did somebody just get angry enough and like, Probably. you know, and just Probably. threw the whole thing in like, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. You know, I've been out here for six hours. I've caught it's absolutely nothing. Away. Yeah. <laughs> it was this big and it took my rod. <laughs> well that's the only thing i could figure about it i was like you know the rods down here the reels down here the whole spool like you know is down here as well that's bad you just couldn't believe how much stuff was down there and you know on everywhere's like this yeah well we look forward to seeing some more posts about it and yeah sharing about it we're gonna come we need to come down and um yes uh, clean out you know because that'd be really good yeah definitely doing river cleans up here so uh that'd be yeah. really good to come down and uh uh get involved so uh yeah um that'd be really cool yeah yeah we've got a um a big cleanup scheduled for october 7th october the 7th yes and that is we're going to do a big waterfront cleanup where we need divers and we need people who don't dive because we're going to put stuff on ropes and that needs to be hauled up the uh the harbor side yeah that'd be good to get involved with that if people want to find out more about the tire project and about yourself where are they best to go to so we've got the uh ships project website which is shipsproject.org and then we've got the thousand tower tires website which is thousandtires.org and then we're um ships project runs thousand tires so on our social media stuff it's all the ship's project yeah right and we're yeah we're on, we're on all of it we're <laughs> to remember to post on all of them yes and yeah. we're sitting in the dark uh, <laughs> oh yeah i dark. know <laughs> i know i didn't i didn't really think about that oh, yeah Just... well, we'll put the show the links to all the the websites on the show notes so people can just click on the the Thank links you. and then head over and uh, if they've got any questions can they send you emails or oh yeah 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 yes please do i've got um oh, sorry on the light i can't see because it's so dark <laughs> um yeah no i'm on um i'm on uh facebook and linkedin and on uh instagram and that because right. i've got i've got mudlarkers or guys or you know divers who send me pictures all you know 
couple times a week going I think I found something like amazing and I was like well it is it's a really lovely find but it is just a Victorian bottle <laughs> so yeah. yeah but you know it's good that people you know have yeah. this kind of passion and interest to yeah it's- it is Oh, no, no, it's great because, I mean, the one thing that we really want, this is, like, just a quick story. We, like, you know, you want to talk to your divers, you want to see what they're doing. So about three weeks ago, uh, a diver was out diving in Barn Pool here in Plymouth and took a picture of a Bronze Age stone anchor underwater. And I was like, oh, my God, because it's about 5,000 years old, isn't it? And I was like, I go, did you you bring it up? He's like, no, 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 we just left it down there. I'm like, <laughs> no way! What'd you say? Where were you? Where I were know. you? Like, and, and then he go, and then I was like, we were trying, and then I was having to like map out where they were at the state of tide and where they got dropped because they didn't put a shot down; they just dropped them in, right? So where would you be drifting at that depth on that day of that state of tide? And then like I've, we've done, it, it's like it's at thirty-two a meters, thousand-year-old anchor. Yeah. So like, you know, you want, I, I always want questions and people to contact us and go, you know, what is this? Or happy to give you an, you know, an age date on your potter and your bottles and your things, anything like that, you know, yeah. but you know, the reason to get all these stories is because you go over to a diver's house and, you know, you portholes and they've got bottles and they've got all these, <laughs> you know, these interesting things. And then there's usually one really good find like yeah. there's this, I remember went over to somebody's house and they're like, oh, found this like jug. They're like, obviously some kid made it for their parents. And I was like, no, it's medieval. That's why it looks so wobbly. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's, yeah. All these little nuggets. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 yeah so well, well, it's good because you never stop diving and never stop looking. So you never no. know what you're going to find. Yeah. No. Yes. Yeah. It's yeah. a, it's a, and because the, the British Isles are so old. You know, coming from the Great Lakes, where kind of you have like what you're seeing down there, unless it's prehistoric and it's like Native American, um, you've got about a hundred years of shipping. So you're really looking at things from like 1830s, maybe 1840s, up until like 1920, and that's kind of it. Yeah. It's a very specific time period, and the sh- the shipwrecks are amazing, especially the wooden ones that are a bit deeper. But it's a very isolated like time history, you know, here in the British Isles, you've got thousands and thousands of years of history and also two world wars and lots of occupations. And, you know, it, it, and because of all those interactions, there's just stuff and that stuff tells such a fabulous story. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and it's never ending, which is the best thing. Yeah. 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 Well, it's been really, really interesting chat. Awesome. Yeah. 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 And hopefully it's inspired people to, yeah, sort of look into all this more and especially the Thousand Tire project. That's just amazing. Yeah. Thanks for, so much for asking me to come on. Yeah. No, it's no, been you're brilliant. very welcome. No, yeah. no, so, yeah. Well, um, if listeners have got any questions, either they can contact us or contact you directly. And uh, hopefully we can raise some interest for October the 7th <laughs> as well. Yeah. That'd be good. Yeah. Yeah. That would be great. Thank you so much. Yeah. No, that's oh, no, thank you. Thanks for coming on. Great. Well, um, you know, I have to do this again sometime next year and we we do we have like an amazing find, something that we're absolutely, yes. Yeah, yeah, that'd be good. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, just keep in touch with us and uh yeah, anything you want us to share, ping it our way and we'll yeah, get it out there as well for you. Great, thank you. But it's yeah. been brilliant. Thank you very much. You know, thanks for coming on. No, no, great. Yeah, that was extremely enjoyable, but you know couple hours just passed like nothing i know, <laughs> I know it's good <laughs>
<laughs> Great. Okay, well, right. catch up soon. And uh, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thanks. Okay. See you again. Cheers. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Well, what can we say? Uh, well, first off, oh, I've got flickering light. Um, say, uh, thank you very much for uh mallory coming on um you know uh wow this is our first recording since what june yes so we've had um, our summer break haven't we and we've been busy out on trips and diving so this is back to it now i'm being attacked by flying insects <laughs> uh yeah but you know so much in that recording um we hope our listeners enjoyed that you know got to look up the t- thousand tire project because that's just like horrendous and the yeah. fact that there are all these tires and other rubbish are down there um you know and also you know look up the ships project um with what mallory's doing getting involved with that yeah and i think it's great because it's just such a diverse you know some people might think mallory archaeology underwater but there's so much more to it. And uh, she's yeah. kind of brought that whole thing alive. And yeah, really, really interesting. And uh, yeah, passionate about the diving and yeah, really down to earth as well, which was. Yeah. Yeah. Great. And I like what she said about Ross as as well and Ross's program. You know, uh, we've touched on it and we've talked about it a few times, haven't we? Yeah. Yeah. And, but it um, kind of brings it together and it's nice kind of linking guests yeah. all together. Um, Mary Rose mm, as well. Yeah. So if you if you've listened to this, then now you can go and listen to Ross Kemp and the Mary Rose project yeah. with Alex Hildred as well. Yeah, yeah. Right. So uh, and also we there's some things on YouTube when we've interviewed some of the other divers who are involved in the Mary lifting Rose. of the Mary Rose as yeah. well. Yeah. So, but no, that's a really, uh, really, really good episode. Really enjoyed it. Yep. Yeah. Um, so thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading um and as uh Gemma just said you know there's like a whole load a whole plethora of episodes out there a library uh, <laughs> uh, all free uh to download at your pleasure and uh, yeah. have a listen to them and um you know don't forget to leave us a five-star review on itunes if that's where you're listening to us and that'd be really cool don't forget and also get in contact you know we love hearing from you um if you're seeing our flag in the waft in in the wind oh. over the summer that'd be really cool if you send us around that'd be be nice yes yeah so any if you've got any questions for either of us about our full face masks about podcasting you know drop us a line talk to us we love hearing from people it's always a interesting wherever you are in the world yeah or if you know if you are a diver and you've got a particular good story that you want to share um get in contact and we we are Getting booked up. We have got quite a few people coming on, haven't we? Yes. Um, over the course of the coming months. We're now back recording after our, our holiday. And um, so, you know, if you have got a story and you want to share, here's the place to come and share it. And we'll, yeah. Yeah. And and we'll in, uh, get you on. You can um, either email us. Um, we have got a phone. You can drop us a WhatsApp or a voice message. Whatever works best for you. But yeah, do get or, in contact. Or if you are a business and you're a manufacturer, doesn't have to be in the diving world, but if you've got a connection to the watery world somewhere or the great outdoors, you know, get in contact. And, uh, we, you know, we do love working with great brands. So, uh, yeah, get in contact if you listen to this. We're going out to 136 countries. Six countries, yeah. 
last count. It never stopped blow, to blow my mind, Gemma, the, the fact that <laughs> people download this and uh, in, the in all over the world, which is amazing. We're, we're slowly <laughs> taking over the planet. <laughs> the furthest corners of the earth we listened in. And I always say Bungie is the centre of the universe. Oh, well, there we go. <laughs> we are. It proves it. <laughs> yeah. So we hope you've enjoyed it and uh, we look forward to seeing you on the next podcast. We certainly will. Speak to you very soon. But for right now, that was The Big Scooper Podcast. Now that does wrap up today's episode of The Big Scooper Podcast. But if you want to hear more from the podcast, make sure you hit that subscribe or follow button depending on what platform you are listening on. That way, you will never miss an episode from us. But if you are listening on Apple Podcasts and did enjoy what you heard today, we would really appreciate it if you head to the show page to leave a five-star rating and review. It really does help us. If you do, please take a screenshot of that review and send it to us on Instagram and we'll give you a shout out to say a big thank you. If you have any questions for us, or anything that has been mentioned in today's episode, be sure to reach out to us on any of our social media platforms or send us an email. The links are in the show notes. We will get back to you no matter what. If you have made it to this point in the episode, we both want to say a big, big thank you for tuning in and we'll see you on the next episode.